If you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelations, chapter 5. Revelations, chapter 5. Also, once you get there, put your finger there and then also turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 5. For the next several weeks, I'm going to be addressing the topic of worship. I'm going to begin with the premise, and that is this, that Jesus is deserving of your worship. He's deserving of your praise. He's deserving of every sacrifice that you bring to Him, of every offering that you bring to Him, of every single act of service that you offer up in His name. Jesus is deserving of that. When we think about deserve, the word deserved is used when a person should rightfully receive something good or bad based upon his actions or his character. Okay? For me, my mom and dad deserve my love and my appreciation for all that they have done for me throughout my life. And they rightfully deserve it. For me to give them anything less than that would be unfair, would be unacceptable because of all the sacrifices that they've made and all that they've invested in my life. They deserve my love and my respect and my appreciation. It rightfully belongs to them. My wife deserves my love and my devotion because of the person that she is and because of the character that she has. Anything less than that would be unjust. It would be unfair. It would be unacceptable. When someone doesn't get what he deserves, we say, well, that's unfair. That's not right. When someone doesn't get what they rightfully deserve. It's funny, when we feel we haven't gotten the good we deserve... We sometimes feel resentful, we feel angry, we get discouraged when we don't receive the good that we deserve, when someone doesn't appreciate what we have done, and sometimes rightfully so, oftentimes we'll contemplate when you don't get what you deserve on the job, when you don't get what you deserve in a relationship, sometimes people will contemplate quitting or giving up because they'll say, well, I'm not appreciated, what I do is not valued. If we're not careful, it's easy to become bitter and resentful when you don't get what you deserve. It's easy to pop an attitude. It's easy to let stuff kind of fester in your heart. But I am really glad that I don't always get what I deserve. It's ironic, whenever I've done the right thing, man, I feel like I deserve it. It belongs to me. But there's some other times that I'm really glad I don't get what I deserve. You know what I'm saying. Because what I've deserved many times was not good. Some of you are in the same boat with me. I know you, right? You haven't always gotten what you've deserved. And that's a good thing. What we deserved was a good swift kick in the seat of the pants. But God is merciful. And the Bible says that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't hold our iniquities against us. Instead, he treats us with mercy. He treats us with grace. He gives us what we're undeserving of. The New Bible Dictionary, whenever it talks about worship, it says that it's an old English word made up of worth and ship. Originally, it referred to the action of human beings in expressing homage towards God because he was worthy of it. 
It covers uh, things like adoration and it covers things like thanksgiving and it covers things like prayers and the offering of sacrifices and the making of vows. Whenever I think of worship, some of the other words that kind of come to my mind would be things like adoration or when we think about worship, we think of devotion. We think of valuing God, esteeming Him, exalting Him, extolling Him, honoring Him, praising Him. When we think of worship, we think of giving our service to God and think of reverence or respect or an attitude of appreciation and thanksgiving. Ultimately, many times when we hear someone speak about worship, it kind of feels, though, like the conversation that a lot of parents have had with their kids when they're in church. Maybe you experienced that. Do you know this hair back here at the back of your neck? You know, when you pull that upward, that really hurts. When I was a kid, there'd be different times where I'd be in church and maybe we're supposed to be standing And dad would reach over and he'd grab that little bit of hair there at the back of my neck. He'd just kind of pull it up. Just let me know, hey, buddy, it's time to stand up. Why don't you stand up? Maybe some of those conversations today would go like this. Hey, knock it off. Put the phone away. Put the phone away. Now, you think we're talking to your kids. Some of you may be talking to your husband or your wife. Put the phone away. Stand up. Dude, did you hear me? I said, stand up and get your hands out of your pockets. Pay attention. Sing. No, (laughs) sing louder. (laughs) Hey, and put a smile on your face. I'll give you something to frown about if you keep it up. (laughs) And have you had those conversations? Maybe you are a recipient of one of those or you've given those conversations, act like you want to be here. And why do we do that? Because you're embarrassing me. So many times it's really not about God. It's you're embarrassing me. You're making me look bad. You're making your mom and I look like we're like really unspiritual parents. And you're embarrassing me. Well, friend, when it comes to worship, that's not what it's about. Worship is about a whole lot more than singing and singing louder. Worship is a whole lot more than clapping. Worship is a a whole lot more than raising your hands. Worship is more than writing a check or digging into your pocket and giving in the offering. It's more than serving and working for God. In fact, worship is even more than giving of your life in service to God. It goes beyond that. I believe that worship is having a true revelation of the worth of Almighty God, of His true value, of His true worth, and it's responding appropriately. So we get all these ideas of worship, and for some people, when we, oh, the church is going to talk about worship. So if I go to this church, worship means that we dance and shake and wiggle a little bit, that we do a Jericho march around the church. That's worship, and if you don't do that, we haven't really worshiped. Other places, when they talk about worship, it's being very somber and quiet. And if you make any noise, if you make any movements, you're not worshiping. But I want you to know this, that true worship goes beyond any of the cultural things 
that are associated with people worshiping God and what people have put onto it. it. It goes beyond our service. It goes beyond our giving. It goes beyond our singing, our clapping, our dancing, our shouting, our outward expressions. It's recognizing God's true value and his true worth. My prayer is not that you'll sing a little louder, but that you'll receive a revelation of who God is. But just that your eyes will be opened. That's all. Because I don't have to worry about you singing louder when your eyes are opened. I don't have to worry about you bowing and responding to him when your eyes are opened. I'm going to tell you something. I don't have to worry about the offerings or your giving whenever you have a true revelation of who God is. The natural response when you really recognize and see who Jesus is, is to bow and worship to him. It's just the natural response. And when I say this is whatever people are not worshiping, I know they're not seeing him. You can't really see him and not respond. You really can't have a vision of who God is and and a revelation of who he is and not respond to him. When you get a real revelation, I won't have to ask you to sacrifice. I won't have to say anything about you going. I won't have to say anything about you serving. I won't have to say anything about you working for the Lord. Because when you and I get a real revelation of who he is, the natural response is to bow and worship, is to serve him. Can we just pray for a minute? Father, today, thank you that in scripture, you reveal yourself to your people. And today, as we gather here in this house, I simply would ask that you would reveal yourself to the people of God. I pray that they would get a new revelation of your holiness, of your righteousness. But most of all, I pray they'd give a revelation of your true value and your true worth. For Lord, you truly deserve all of our worship and all of our praise and all of our love and all of our service. It rightfully belongs to you. In Jesus' name. Now, there's two men in Scripture that I want to speak to you about who had a revelation of the Lord. They had visions. They saw things in the Spirit. Can I say to you today that there are things that are in the Spirit that are more real and more, they're more tangible than what you can see with your eyes? In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? 
And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah had a revelation of the awesomeness and the holiness of God. He caught a glimpse of God. High and lifted up on a throne in heaven. And the very bottom of his robe filled the temple. The Hebrew word that's used refers to the very edge or the hem of his garment. You need to understand in Israel's worship, the temple was central to Israel's worship. The temple and the promised land were things that everything revolved around temple worship. Everything revolved around the promises of God were connected with the temple and the promises of God were connected with the promised land, okay, with this particular land. It was so large in their mind and a glorious edifice. It was a a beautiful facility, a beautiful building. And, And the Bible says when Isaiah sees the Lord, see, a lot of times people were in awe of the temple. I mean, we couldn't count the money that it would have cost to build the temple today. It would be billions and billions and billions of dollars, gold, everything gold and all this stuff. But the Bible says that Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, literally the hem of his robe, filled the temple. Look down at your pants legs. Most of us wear pants. Some of the ladies, you wear a dress. Flip the edge of that over. There's a hem there, right? And your dress pants. For all of us, who, have, if you have a pair of jeans, if you have a pair of dress pants, dress slacks here, there's a hem. It's just a few stitches. But the hem of his robe filled the temple with glory. Not his whole robe. You know, a lot of times we'll say God is in the house. We'll sense his presence. Friend, just the very hem, a few strings, the very bottom edge of his robe filled the temple with glory. Imagine that. That reminds me, remember there was a woman who understood this principle. She'd been struggling with sickness for years and years and she had lost pretty much everything that she had going after doctors to find some form of healing. And she had this understanding when she saw Jesus. She said, if I can but touch what? The hem of his garment. I know that I'll be made whole. But imagine this. Imagine if people said, I just want to touch the hem of Brian's pants leg. You know? <laughs> Brian's like, oh, yeah, hey. <laughs> Brian used to be a ball player. That, you know, he's used to being famous. But the hem of his robe, think about this. Just the hem of his garment. The train of his robe. Just the hem of his robe caused the temple to be filled with glory. I don't think we can understand how glorious and majestic this was that what Isaiah saw. The seraphim were calling out again and again, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. When Isaiah sees this, he's ruined by this revelation. He's undone. In light of God's holiness, how majestic and how glorious God is, one of the things that happens is when you see how holy God is, there's this awareness of our sinfulness. 
Some of you, you've cleaned up pretty good. You look pretty good today. But whenever we have a revelation of God, there's something about seeing him in his holiness that causes people to become totally undone. And that's what happened to him. Now, you've got to understand, Isaiah is a prophet. He's a godly man. He's a preacher of righteousness. He's calling people to repentance. He's used of God. Yet whenever he sees God in his glory, he becomes undone. And he cried out to the Lord. When he saw this, he recognized his sinfulness and the uncleanness of the nation that he served. As he cries out to the Lord, the Bible says that a seraphim took a coal from off the altar and he came and he touched his lips. And he said this to him, your guilt is gone. Aren't you glad? I'll say this to you. When you come into the presence of God, here's the cool thing. When I'm in the presence of the wicked one, the enemy, he always makes me feel totally hopeless. I recognize my faults. I recognize my inadequacies. And there's no hope. There's no hope for you. But when you're in the presence of Jesus, when you really come into his presence, when you really encounter him, yes, you'll recognize that you're undone. Yes, you'll recognize, you will have an understanding that he is holy. And there's some places in my life where I'm undone. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. The seraphim took the coal from the altar and has touched his lips. And he said, your guilt is gone. And your sin has been atoned for. Your sin has been paid for. Aren't you glad today that when you come into Jesus' presence, he takes away our guilt? He takes away the condemnation, the accusations that the enemy brings against us. Isaiah's response was one of worship. Now you say, well, pastor, I don't see it. I don't receive a response of worship. It doesn't say he started singing. It doesn't say he started shouting. It doesn't say that he did a victory march around the church. It doesn't say that he prayed in the spirit or that he fell down as if he was dead. Although all of those are proper responses to encountering Jesus. If you've been enslaved and somebody sets you free, you might do a little jump up and down, shout a little bit. If you've been lost, and now you've been found, and you understand how lost you really were, you might get a little bit excited. People will watch somebody else who's getting paid millions of dollars, some spoiled guy making $150 million to play basketball or to hit a baseball or to throw a football, and whenever their team wins, people jump up and down and shout, dude, is he giving you any of the money? Is he your cousin? You know what I mean? Are you gambling on this? Why are you so excited? Because he threw a ball over a line whenever Jesus has set us free. And we think people are crazy when they start getting a little bit happy, when they start getting a little bit appreciative, whenever they start seeing hope that God can change their life and God can change their circumstances. And so his response was not one of those things, but this was his response. His response of worship was revealed when he said, here am I, send me. When Isaiah saw who the Lord was, he was willing to go and speak and serve and give his life in whatever way that God deemed was necessary. He was willing to go and do that. The second man 
that we want to talk about is John. And it's found in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 4. John has this vision of an open heaven. There's a door open in heaven. God allows him in the spirit to be taken up and caught up and to see. As he looks into the heaven, there's a throne in heaven. There is what glorious things that he sees. He sees the one seated on a throne. From the throne are flashes of lightning and thunder. There are 24 elders encircling the throne. There's four living creatures that are there as well. And and Revelation chapter 5 is where we pick up. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on it, on both sides, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept bitterly. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Did you hear that? What did the elder say? He said, quit your crying. Quit whining. Look up, bro. The elder told John, because the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. He's already won your victory. And he alone was able to break the seal and to open the scroll. They were looking for someone and there was no one who was worthy. But the lion of the tribe of Judah, he was worthy. He triumphed already. Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Though introduced as the lion, who did he say? Quit crying because the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was introduced as as a lion. What John saw was a lamb that appeared to have been sacrificed. Yet the lamb was standing in the center of the throne. He's surrounded by 24 elders and the four living creatures. The lion and the lamb surely refer to Jesus. With the lamb referring to his first coming as a sacrificial death. And the lion referring to a second coming as he comes in judgment of the world. In the Bible, horns symbolize strength. The seven horns represent the authority and the strength of a ruler. The seven eyes defined as the seven spirits of God symbolically represent the Holy Spirit because he alone is worthy. The lamb took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Verse 8, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. You hear that? Your prayers, they ascend to heaven. And they sang a new song, 
saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Did you hear that? He said, they sang a new song. The new song began with this phrase, you are worthy. Those three words, you are worthy. Why did they worship the lamb? Because he was worthy. He was worthy to take and open the seal. When there was no one else to do it, he was worthy to do it. He was worthy when there was no one else worthy to pay the price of redemption for the souls of mankind from every tribe, from every language, from every people and every nation. There was one who was worthy and he was worthy. When no one else's blood would suffice, hear me loud and clear, he was worthy. When 39 stripes across the back was the price for your healing and mine, There was one who was worthy, and he was worthy. I might need to camp here for a few minutes on those three words. You are worthy. When it comes to the lamb, I want you to know he's worthy. Mankind was in bondage to sin. We were slaves or unrighteousness. But now we have been made a kingdom of priests to serve our God. The Bible says that we will reign on the earth. Why? Because he is worthy. Verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon ten thousands, and ten thousands time ten thousand. And they encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard, listen to this. He sees the reality. He sees in another dimension of what's taking place. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What were they all saying? Worthy is the Lamb. They were saying, in some form or some way, you are worthy. I want to just talk to you about a few things. When it comes to you singing a song of praise, you're going to do it. You know why? Because he's worthy. I've already made up my mind. I've already made up my mind. There's things that I'm going to do. When it comes to lifting up holy hands of surrender, I do it because he is worthy. When it comes to clapping your hands, 
and shouting to God with the voice of triumph. I don't do it because everybody around me is doing it. I'm not doing it because the worship leader says to do it. We clap our hands and we shout to the Lord because he is worthy of all of our praise and all of our thanks. When it comes to kneeling at an altar in humility and brokenness before the Lord, we do it because he is worthy. When it comes to waiting on the Lord in silence, even when I'm not hearing anything, even when I can't discern anything, I'm going to do it because he's worthy. This month, when I write out my tithe check, I'm going to do it. Not because I'm a member of the church. I'm doing it for him because he is worthy. When I study the word, and seeking to grow and seeking to have greater understanding. I don't do it because the pastor told me I had to. I do it because he's worthy. When it comes to saying no to my flesh, I think we're going to hit home here. When it comes to saying no to ungodliness, when it comes to not yielding the members of our body to immorality, we're going to do it. Why? Because he's worthy. He's not asking too much from you. Sometimes what the world wants you to think, if you get around certain people, what the world wants you to think and what some people want you to think is that God is asking too much from you. You know, I get up and come to church on a regular basis. You know why? You're like, you're the pastor. No, you're the pastor. You got it. Now, it don't matter if I'm the pastor or not because he's worthy. You know, when I get up early, when you get up in, early in the morning and you come to church on a Saturday, on a day you'd like to sleep in, or maybe when you're not even feeling really good, you do it because it's your act of worship. That's what you're doing. This is worship. This is offering worship unto the Lord. Whenever you pray, you're tired in the mornings, you get up and pray. You know why you do it? Because he's worthy. The idea of I'm doing it to get something from him. I want to say this to you too. I think of people, the calling upon people's lives. I think of the people in our church and how much time you have no idea. The average person has no idea of the time that the, the laity invest in the work of the ministry. For some people, there's some people who come into church and being at church is almost a full-time job. It really is. They invest their time, they invest, they're at home, they're working on stuff, they're working on their classes, they're working on so many different things. Hours and hours are invested. In the world's eyes, it's crazy. If you do it because someone notices you, you're not going to do it. You just won't. If I'm doing it because you notice me, let me just tell you, you're going to quit pretty quick. Because no one ever really appreciates you as much as you probably deserve. People don't understand. They don't understand all of the demands are upon you. We don't do it, whatever we do to the Lord, because it's not just our singing. We talk about worship, people think it's singing. Yeah, hey, pastor wants us to clap louder. Pastor wants us to sing louder. He wants us to sway more. So when people come in, some people are good at that. Some of us aren't, we're not good swayers. We're not good dancers. It's an aspect of worship. Raising your hands is a response to God. 
Clapping your hands as a response to God? Writing out your offering and giving your offering? Or giving to somebody else and helping someone in need is a response to God? It's an act of worship? But you don't do it for them. I'm doing it for you. You don't do it for them. The things that you feel God telling you to do. No, it's not just you. There's some of you, God's calling you to do things for him. To make sacrifices for him. To serve him in some way. To invest your life, to give your life in some way. In the New Testament, when they sold their houses and they brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Can I tell you why they did that? Because Jesus was worthy. The apostles weren't worth it. I'm just being honest with you. They weren't worth it. Can I say this to you? That I don't mean to be disrespectful. If I invested my life, and I feel I've, I, from the time I got saved at 16 years old, about 15 or 16, I've tried to live my life in such a way that when I stand before God, that he'll be pleased. If people are like, well, you know, I wish I had your life. Come spend some time with me. I see so many people who respond to God's call. And God doesn't always give you. Brother Phil, he pastored two churches. God doesn't always give us, when we look at, I'm going to invest my life in this, and here's the result. There's a lot of people who, they follow God's call. They give them themselves. They go plant a church. They sell their home. They move somewhere and plant a church. And in five years, it closes up. I have friends who've left 30 years ago, left a hundred and some thousand dollar jobs 30 years ago to go plant a church. Like well over a hundred grand 30 some years ago. You know, you're like, to plant a church that closes. Was it worth it? If you look at it in an earthly thing, you may go with the message and people don't always respond in the way that you think they will. You may sacrifice and give to help somebody and it looks like it's wasted. But that would be true if you were doing it for them. But can I say this to you? We're not doing what we do for the people, for the building, for the church, for the organization, for some ministry. We do what we do because he is worthy. And so if you surrender your life and if you yield yourself to him, oftentimes we people get confused because they're saying, I felt that God asked me to do it. And, you know, I'm thinking that everybody, the minute I stand up to preach, that 5,000 people are going to be added to the church, pastor. I went out in the street and I did this and I followed and I thought, I thought that this was going to be the result and I didn't get the result that I thought it was going to be and they become disillusioned. Well, that would be true if it, you could be disillusioned if it wasn't for the fact that you were doing it for him. You're doing it for him. Whether it looks really great on the outside, whether you've seen the success that you wanted by giving of yourself to God and offering it to the Lord. And so whatever God has asked you to do, the sacrifices that you've made, the things that you've done for him, it's never going to be wasted. It's never going to be taken from you. Why? Because he's worthy of it. So as we close today, this is my prayer for you. 
My prayer for you is that you and I will see that whatever Jesus asks of us, whatever he calls us to, he's not asking too much. That place of surrender, it's not too much. You would quit because if, it, if you were in the natural, because of the opposition, because of people's response, because of the headaches, because of the pain of serving God in some way, you would quit if you were only dealing with it in the natural, but you're not dealing with it in the natural. It's unto the Lord. It's for his honor. It's for his glory. It's because he deserves your obedience, your surrender, your worship, your giving. He deserves your life. And so he's worthy. Father, today I pray that in this place, as we think of the woman with the alabaster jar, here it is 2,000 years ago. She took that alabaster jar and she broke it and poured it out and anointed your feet, Lord. A year's salary. People criticizing, people tearing her down, people accusing her. And yet, 2,000 years later, she still serves as an example to us of worship because you're worthy. You are worthy of it, Lord. Many people didn't see the worth. Many people didn't understand your true value and who you were, but she did, that sinful woman. And I thank you, Lord, that you've done a work in our hearts and in our lives. I thank you that you've changed us. And I thank you that people in this room are doing what they do, are offering to you worship because you are worthy of the praise. You're worthy of bowing before. You're worthy of giving our lives. You're worthy of getting up early in the morning and working till late at night, helping somebody else because it's not for them, it's for you. You're worthy of all of the sacrifices that we make and all of the obstacles that we come against. You're worthy of our worship and it rightfully belongs to you. So Father, I pray that we would keep that in our hearts and in our minds. And the next time the enemy tries to keep us and pull us back from serving you, that we would be reminded that worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep obeying. I'm going to keep pressing forward. I'm going to keep surrendering myself to you because you're worthy of all the worship and the praise. Be with your people today and strengthen them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.